All right, back on the editors. We've got two great guests coming up for you. Um, second one is Ben Cohen, uh, founder of Ben and Jerry, so stick around for that. He's got a new ice cream flavor named after, you're gonna be shocked, Bernie Sanders. Um, so uh, I, I wanna find out all about that, and, and he's one of the campaign co-chairs. But first, uh, we're gonna go to a new Just Democrat. Joining me now is Alex Morse. Uh, he is running for Congress in Massachusetts First District as a Justice Democrat. That means he is uncorrupted, takes no corporate PAC money. He's running against one of the most powerful Democrats in the country. Alex, welcome to the Young Turks. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, no problem. So you have an amazing life story that I want to get to in a second. But first, Richard Neal, uh, he's the head of the Ways and Means Committee. Uh, and that means he controls the budget. Uh, so uh, he says he's busy fighting against Trump. So why bother primarying a, a Democrat fighting against Trump? Yeah, I think he, he's really not putting the full force uh, power that he has as a member of Congress and chair of Ways and Means to hold this president accountable. Um, he does not support opening an impeachment inquiry. Uh, I think he's more interested in, in listening to uh, leadership in the establishment than listening to constituents here uh, in Western Mass. And so whether it's on impeachment, whether it's on seizing the New York state tax returns, uh, the congressman continues to fail to hold this president uh, accountable. And so, yes, he has power, but power for who? Uh, certainly not using that power for the people here in Western Mass and not using it to hold Donald Trump accountable. I remember this argument they used to make uh, for Joe Crowley. They say, oh, he's the fourth most powerful uh, Democrat in the House. Uh, and l I remember AOC, and it's actually in a, even in a movie um, in Knock Down the House saying, power for who, <laughs> right? Uh, and Crowley never used that power for the voters. And now you see AOC wielding that power fairly effectively for the voters. And yeah, there's a traditional wisdom that you need to be in Congress for 20 or 30 years to set the agenda. And it's the members of Congress that have been there seven or eight months that are leading the fight, that are setting the agenda and changing the conversation. Uh, and so that whole argument of that you have to be there for 20 or 30 years to have influence has totally been thrown out the window by uh, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez and, and Congresswoman Presley as well. And so in fact, it's actually quite the reverse. They try to make sure that they don't do anything they, they and protect the status quo. Look, you mentioned the New York State tax returns for Donald Trump. Some people might not know about that and it's an amazing story. So the Democrats right now say, well, there's nothing we can do. We can't, we can't get his tax returns. So I guess we'll never find out about his financial improprieties. That's not true, is it? No, not true at all. And, and Congressman Neal is the one Democrat in Washington that could actually seize those returns. And he's the one Democrat uh, standing in the way. And the way he's handled this tax issue is really emblematic of his handling on a number of issues. He certainly doesn't lead the fight on progressive policies or issues, uh, be it Medicare for all. Uh, he's one of the top recipients of money from Big Pharma, uh, putting pharmaceutical profits before the health of people right here uh, in Western Massachusetts. Is the only member of the delegation in Massachusetts that isn't signed on uh, to the Green New Deal. And so again, he certainly has power and experience, but using that power for special interests and his corporate donors. Maybe that's uh, who gave him the name. Uh, maybe the big drug companies were like Neil, and he's like, no problem, can do. Um, <laughs> so, and as always with these incumbents, they get almost no money from the grassroots, no small dollar, dollar donations. Whereas Alex's campaign is all dependent on uh, uh, small donors. In fact, I'll give you the website right now, Alex Morse Congress. ForCongress.com. We'll have the links down below if you're watching this later on YouTube or Facebook. Just click on them, especially donate because if you don't uh, uh, support uh, these uncorrupted candidates, well, then they can't win without you. But with you, they can accomplish anything, as we saw in the last cycle. So, uh, 
Alex, look, I can go on forever with Richard Neal against Medicare for all, against Green New Deal. In fact, not just against it, using his power to block those legislation, right? And and protecting Trump. I I don't know why he bothers calling himself a Democrat, etc. But let's talk about you as well. So, you you were the first person in your family to get college education. Yes, that's true. And you went you went to Brown, which is a, a an Ivy League school. And that's a funny question. How did that even thought get into your head, right? Your dad worked in a factory, if I'm not mistaken, no one else has gone. How did it get in your head? You know what? I bet I could go to an Ivy League school. Yeah, my you know, my parents grew up very poor here in Holyoke, and my dad has still worked at the same meatpacking company in Springfield for the last 33 years. So he still works there today. My mom opened up a family daycare for many years and went from job to job, and they were able to move out of poverty into the working class and uh, I grew up, I went to the Holyoke Public Schools, and I was one of the lucky ones. I was in a program called Upward Bound, which is a trio program for low-income and first-generation college-bound students. And so I was able to have a, a network of mentors. They took me on college visits, helped me with the financial aid applications. And I had a counselor one summer at Upward Bound that introduced me to Brown, and uh, I fell in love, and and that's where I ended up. And Growing up in Holyoke and internalizing these expectations that people had for for kids like me, I was even, you know, intimidated. Like, am I going to be able to hold up there? And I quickly realized that it's much harder to get into schools like that than it is to be there. And it's really a question of access and, and opportunity. And when given the option to go on to grad school or or live in a big city, it was really easy for me to decide to go back to my hometown to make sure that other young people had the same opportunities that I had. You know, Alex, I had a similar experience because. I remember my uncle telling me before I went to Penn undergrad, going, you are crazy, do not go, they go to eat you alive, they are too smart. And then I went, I was like, these are the guys who are too smart? Oh yeah, I went to like two classes and I said, all right, I think I'll be okay. Right, so, but then you decide you're gonna be even ballsier and okay, you come out of Brown and you're like, all right, I'm instead of going to Wall Street or now, you know, your family grew up poor, middle class, et cetera, get some money. No, I'm gonna run for mayor right out of college. What? Oh yeah, I was uh, I was 21. I was still a senior at Brown. Uh, I saved some money by not having a dorm that year, sleeping uh, on couches of friends' dorms. So I would drive back and forth from Providence over to Western Mass. I knocked on thousands of doors that year, and I ran against a 68-year-old Democratic incumbent mayor. And people told me to run for something else, not run at all, to to wait my turn. And you know, this was against somebody that had been involved in politics for 30 years. So, you know, a smaller race, obviously, but uh, we know that we bypass the establishment, elected officials that are more loyal to an incumbent than they are to the people they represent. And just bringing our message directly to people in their doorsteps, on kitchens, in their kitchens, in the living rooms. Uh, and that's what we're going to do on a larger scale in every one of the 87 cities and towns in the first district here in Massachusetts. So, Alex, uh, you were also the first gay mayor of Holyoke, right? Uh, the first openly gay, yes. Yeah, that's right. That's true. <laughs> so, so how does a 22, 21, 22 year old kid who is going to be the first gay mayor of Holyoke wind up beating a 68 year old incumbent Democrat? How in the world did you do that? It's a similar narrative as to why I'm running today. I ran eight years ago because you know a lot of people and places can relate to this. We were once the paper capital of the world, the paper city, a lot of uh, paper mills and a bustling city. And people had this nostalgia for what once was, but people had resigned themselves to the, to the fact that our best days were behind us. And I grew up in Holyoke, a lot of poverty, 
Um, only 49% of our kids were graduating from high school, high crime, businesses leaving the downtown. And at the same time, the same people in office year after year, voter turnout was abysmal, no accountability or direct civic engagement and action at city council meetings. And so it was, you know, we have to take ownership of the future of, of our community and nothing changes if nothing changes. And so I wanted to make sure to come back and, you know, provide a vision and hope again to people in Holyoke. And there were people and places and neighborhoods that were historically left behind and left out, uh, particularly the Latinx community uh, in Holyoke. We're about 50% Latino, mostly of Puerto Rican descent that have been historically excluded from city government. And so we've also made it our mission to make sure we have a representative government, make investments and show up uh, in parks and public housing uh, and improvements in every single neighborhood, not just some. Uh, and that was a message we brought directly to people uh, in English and in Spanish, knocking in neighborhoods that had never seen a candidate for mayor before. And that's how we've run, uh, we've really run the city over the last eight years. So Alex, now let's turn to how you did as mayor, because uh, you've been mayor now for eight years. Uh, that's why you're the uh, very senior uh, age of 30. Um, <laughs> so um, you were one of the first ones to uh, declare yourself a sanctuary city. Uh, and so uh, then obviously the question is, how much did crime go up after that? Uh, great question. Uh, no, actually, crime crime continued to trend down. Crime has gone down 40% over the last eight years. It's this obvious false choice in this racist correlation between immigrants and not just immigrants, really, but people of color and everyone else. And so the sanctuary city executive order that I signed in 2014, it was really making sure that everybody, no matter uh, what you look like, your race, ethnicity, uh, feel safe in your own community. And what we see happening with ICE and with the federal government is it really doesn't matter if you're a citizen or not. ICE will potentially detain you if you're just simply a person of color in this country. And so uh, it was important for us to take a stand early on on that. So uh, I looked at the numbers, crime went down by 40%. Uh, in your uh, eight years, unemployment's at a 25 year low. Look, you can say nationally unemployment's down. Uh, you can say crime is down, although not down 40%, obviously. Uh, obviously, it puts a lie to the idea that sanctuary cities are uh, more dangerous. It's actually the reverse. Uh, but there's one other stat that I was actually more amazed by. High school graduation rates increased from 49% to 72% while you've been mayor. That's a really large jump. How in the world did you make that happen? Yeah, no, it's a huge jump and it's something that we're, we're very proud of. And public education, public schools, I'm a product of the Holyoke Public Schools. They should be you know, our cities, our society's greatest equalizer um, in our country, providing everyone with a good public education. And we need to design schools um, with the assumption that kids aren't uh, gadgets, uh, that one size doesn't fit all. And our motto has been a pathway for every student. And so different students and different people have different types of life experiences and trauma that they may bring with them, uh, backgrounds, challenges, they may be young mothers. And so instead of having a system where if you don't assimilate into quote unquote a model student that you are somehow pushed out of the system, rather creating a system where students who have different abilities and different assets and different life experiences feel at home and comfortable in the system as well. And so we certainly still have challenges um, in the public schools and a lot of work ahead of us, but we're really proud of the fact that we've been able to increase the graduation rate from 49 to 72, uh, expand and get closer to universal pre-K. We started a dual language program. So starting in preschool, uh, people are learning both English and Spanish, uh, and that's been an incredibly 
a successful program. And we want to make the public schools, which have historically been places where a lot of families are choosing not to send their kids. We're now seeing families of all backgrounds um, actually using and, and seeing the public schools as their number one school of choice. There's so many things that people tell you can't be done, and that's because they don't want them done or they don't want to bother trying. It's amazing what you could accomplish if you just try. And for the audience, I want to tell you guys one last thing. You'll remember this as the first time you saw Alex Morse for a lot of you, but it won't be the last. So everybody go to alexmorseforcongress.com and we'll have the links down below if you're watching this later, like I said. And make sure that if you believe in progressive candidates who are actually gonna fight for you, you've got to support them now so they can support you later. And and I I don't know that there's anybody more important to defeat than as a Democratic incumbent than Richard Neal. So Alex, thank you so much for joining us on the Iron Really appreciate yeah, it. Thanks so much for having me. I look forward to keeping in touch and enjoy the ice cream. <laughs> All right, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break and uh, get to that aforementioned ice cream when we come back because uh, Ben Cohn, founder of Ben and Jerry's, is next. All right, back on the Young Turks. Uh, let's go and talk with an old friend, Ben Cohn, uh, one of the founders of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. You might be familiar with it. Uh, ben, welcome back to the Young Turks. Jeng Fabi, what's happening? Hey, buddy, <laughs> my quaff. I, I got to deal with my quaff here. All right. I don't think you do. Uh, don't you send makeup down here if I, I'm going to do a show by Skype? No, no, we don't. We we don't have makeup here, let alone in Vermont. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and your hair is an homage to Bernie Sanders, so it's okay. <laughs> I guess you're right. Yeah, right. <laughs> like your ice cream. So you got a new Bernie Sanders flavor coming out. Uh, but before we get to that, um, I, I want to ask you about how that works. Because you guys sold Ben and Jerry's. So when you get a new, I was just curious about this. When you get a new flavor out, what, what does that mean? What do you what do you guys do with it? Well, it, this flavor has come out under the Ben's Best label. Uh, that's my own ice cream label. It's not associated with Ben and Jerry's, although I am indeed Ben and Jerry is indeed Jerry. But uh, <laughs> this is not Ben and Jerry's. This is Ben's Best. And we came out with uh, Bernie's Back which is uh, a hot cinnamon flavored ice cream uh, that represents holding politicians' feet to the fire. Uh, there's a butter toffee spine that I molded by hand in the shape of a spine going down the middle. It's very stiff because Bernie's got a very stiff backbone. He ain't gonna sway in the wind. He's gonna be steady like he has been for the last freaking 40 years, and on top is that same big old chocolate disc covering up the whole entire top, representing all the money that's flowed up to the top uh, 1% over the last 10 years. And, you know, the amazing thing about this flavor, and I, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, push you out of the conversation here, Cenk. I know that I'm kind of monopolizing, but you know, you you monopolize a lot yourself. But the amazing <laughs> thing about this flavor is that it reminds you exactly of an atomic fireball that you used to suck on when you were eight years old. I mean, you did suck on an atomic fireball when you were eight years old, did you not? Uh, I, I I don't think I did actually. Be partly because at eight I was largely in Turkey. Something or what? 
Uh, at eight, when I was eight years old, I was I was in Turkey. Uh, well, you probably didn't have atomic fireball. We didn't even have bubblegum. Eight-year-old in the United States, <laughs> born and bred here in the United States, you know, sucked on atomic fireballs, and it's this hot cinnamon flavor. And you know, by the time you're ten, you stop doing it because you know it's not much. You know, it doesn't. It do, the flavor doesn't have a whole lot of depth, shall we say? But the amazing thing is that when it's combined with ice cream, and I believe I am the first guy in history to figure this out, and it was a total by accident. I wasn't planning on it, but tasting so good. It tastes great. It's incredible. It's hot cinnamon in ice cream, you know, which is kind of cool. And it's creamy instead of that, you know, sickly candy kind of thing. It is all natural. Uh, yeah. Just like Bernie, uh, <laughs> it's, it, it's a great flavor. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if this becomes the new vanilla. Everybody's <laughs> going to be making this. I'm going to be like the new vanilla. Okay, so uh, one of the things I love about you, Ben, is your enthusiasm. Uh, so your enthusiasm. <laughs> do it, do it all the way. I mean, you know, be be out there, be That's in right. it. That's right. That's right. Roll. <laughs> so um, I, uh, I I love your enthusiasm for ice cream and and your enthusiasm for Bernie Sanders and that's why you're one of his campaign co-chairs uh, and and I get the play on words Bernie's back that's right and, ba and back I got I it you I were got sharp it. I always knew you had something going <laughs> on up there <laughs> and you guys you're gonna be shocked to find out that when Ben and Jerry first started that Ben did the marketing for the uh, company. I'm not at all surprised by that. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, you know, after I was the uh, scooper and then the uh, truck driver, I became the uh, director of marketing. That's correct. That's right. Well, look, I started out here as the lugger. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Same thing. You know, I yeah, I lugged around uh, four 16-pound tubs at a time. I, I'm I'm no longer capable of doing that. Yeah. But, yeah. I, I, I could still lug a thing or two, uh, but okay. So Ben, um, we can't get this at Walmart or anything, right? It, it's, it's only a limited amount. How do people get it? Uh, you go to justiceinallitsflavors.com, justiceinallitsflavors.com, and you enter the raffle to get one of the somewhere between 10 and 40 pints that I am going to make by hand, uh, each pint is going to be signed and numbered, and you know you win the raffle, and then you sock this pint away in the bottom of your storage freezer for the next twenty or thirty years, and then you sell it on eBay and you take the big vacation, man. Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, ten yeah. to forty pints. I mean, that's not a whole lot of pints. And I mean, that's true. It's out there. very limited edition. And uh, or what you could do is, well, there's two things. You could pop it open, as it were, uh, if Bernie wins the presidency on that night, right? Or, uh, well, if Bernie wins the presidency, then it's going to be worth a lot of money. You save it for later. Well, well, you know, when I'm out there on the trail, uh, you know, I'm the intro act for Bernie, and uh, I tell people that when we get Bernie elected. And I become the minister of ice cream. I promise a pint in every freezer, 
a Sunday in every bowl. And I am promising here right now to you in front of the entire Young Turk audience, when we at the inauguration of Bernie Sanders, I will provide Bernie's back ice cream for everybody there. All right, uh, big bold promises. Uh, just like Bernie Sanders, big bold promises. Uh, if I was John Delaney or John Hickenlooper, I'd say, oh, there's no way you could do that, Ben. There's no way. I can do that. <laughs> I am the ice cream dude. <laughs> so, all right. So, one last thing about the ice cream, then I want to actually talk to you about Bernie Sanders. Um, so, when you enter the raffle, are you donating to Bernie or something? What's how do you enter the raffle? Or it's just free for everybody? You no, know, I think it's one of those deals where uh, no donation is required. I think well. there's a lot of that, you know, fine gobbledygook lawyer print, and uh, it requires no donation. All right, that's mighty lib of you. Okay. Uh, so uh, let's talk about Bernie for a second. So obviously you're a big fan, and you've known him for a long time because uh, you're both from Vermont. So uh, I forget if we talked about this before. When, when did you first meet Bernie Sanders? Uh, I think I met him at uh, his victory celebration in the basement of Memorial Auditorium uh, in the early 1980s when he won his first uh, election for mayor by 10 votes. Uh, he unseated a uh, long-term incumbent machine, old crony Democrat, and uh, he turned the city around. Uh, you know, just about the first thing he did was that when he came into power, uh, you know, the old crony dude before him had essentially put wheels in motion to sell the entire waterfront of Burlington to developers to make uh, high end, high rise condominiums. And Bernie said, uh, no, there is such a thing as the right of public access, and all the people of Burlington should have access to the lake. And he shut it down, they took him to court, he won. And today we have the most beautiful public park along the lakefront uh, in Burlington because of Bernie. So uh, I assume that you gravitated towards this campaign and hence you were there at, uh, when he won because you're both very progressive. Uh, but you know, the, the conservatives will say, or even oftentimes conservative Democrats will say, no, no, you gotta do those big business deals. And if you don't do the business deals, then the town suffers and you libs don't understand how this thing works and et cetera. So what did happen when Bernie was an executive, when he ran the town of Burlington? Did things in fact suffer or, or did they flourish? You know, the amazing thing was that he created uh, a very vibrant uh, business climate. Uh, he started the Community Economic Development Office. Uh, he started uh, the first land trust in the city, uh, in the country, I believe. Uh, he was working on affordable housing. Uh, this was during the era that uh, Ben and Jerry's flourished that seventh generation flourished, that uh, Burton snowboards flourished. Uh, he, you know, he, he create, you know, it was during his watch that uh, the whole Church Street Marketplace, a very, very successful 
uh, pedestrian marketplace on the main street of Burlington uh, grew up. You know, uh, you know, the guy is, I, you know, it always amazes me that he calls himself a socialist. I mean, the dude is a capitalist through and through. I mean, he believes in small business. He believes in businesses that have a sense of social responsibility, uh, like Ben and Jerry's, like Seventh Generation, like uh, Dr. Bronner's, like Patagonia. I mean, like like millions of small businesses out there that care about their employees, that care about the environment. What he doesn't believe in is rapacious, giant corporations, uh, you know, like uh, what? Walmart that's making billions and billions of dollars in profit and is not paying their employees a livable wage. I mean, it, it shouldn't need to be the case that you need to have Bernie out there calling for a $15 an hour minimum wage. It should be that businesses care about their employees and they're paying them a decent amount of money. Yeah, last thing, Ben, because you call yourself a caring capitalist from time to time, and and I like that, and I I hope I'm the same. So you know, people think like, oh, Bernie's very popular in Vermont because Vermont's so liberal, but but you guys have a Republican governor and and have elected many Republicans. Is it possible that Bernie Sanders is popular in Vermont not necessarily because of how progressive he is, but because of how successful he has been in that state? That. What, what, that he's, I didn't understand the question. Yeah, that, that, that people to, in Vermont perhaps like him because they like what he did in Burlington. They like what he's doing as a senator well, more than they, because he's a liberal. What they like is that here's a guy, here's, I mean, I hesitate to use the word politician because he's not a politician in the usual sense of the word. He is a fighter for justice, economic, social, racial, and environmental, and he uses politics as a means to that end. I mean, so what they love about Bernie is that this is a guy who's sticking up for the little guy, the regular guy on the street, uh, who cares about uh, getting health care for everybody, who cares about making higher education affordable, who who cares about the things that regular everyday people uh, are concerned about? Uh, yep. You know, and and it's one. I mean, it's clear in the way that he runs his campaign that you know he doesn't take any money from huge corporations uh, and the ultra wealthy. I mean, he is. He is looking to represent regular everyday Americans. You know, most every other politician in the country is not representing their constituents. They're representing the money. They're representing the people who finance their campaigns. Yep. And, you know, so that's, I mean, Bernie can't be bought. That's what people love about there you go. All right, Ben Cohen, one of the co-founders of Ben and Jerry's Ice Cream, also a wonderful activist in getting money out of politics. In this case, you can get Bernie's back by entering the raffle and justice in all its flavors.com.
Ben, as always, a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for joining us. You know, Cenk, I've been looking at you on the screen. I have to say, tonight, you are looking beautiful. <laughs> Thank you, Ben, I appreciate it. My dream one day is to get a flavor named after me, although, God, I don't know what it would be, so good luck with that one. <laughs> All right, anyway, Ben, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it, brother. Take care. You Bye-bye. too. Um, so, guys, a, a story broken, a fortunate story, uh, right as we were heading into this half hour. Uh, the biggest raid in ICE history has happened in Mississippi. Uh, so, um, I'm going to tell you about that in the post game. So, normally we about our personal lives a little bit, and we'll talk to, to Francis about that. Uh, he's going to join me in the post game, but I'm also going to share the breaking news story about uh, this uh, raid uh, in Mississippi, biggest in U.S. history. And I, I didn't get a chance to read the full story, that's why I'm saving it for the post game. But it looks like there might be a really, really interesting twist in that story. So if uh, if you remember, you get the last half hour of the Young Turks. Uh, if you want to become a member, tyt.com/join. Come right back, and we'll talk about that. 